Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney. And as you can tell from the title that it's a dual episode, two, that's twofold, dose. We have two subject matters we're covering today. We're covering Star Wars Rogue One trailer that was just recently released and other two things, uh, Daredevil Season 2. Now, of course, I have a guest. There's always two people on a podcast when it comes to me. As a joke, I've beaten into the ground. Nobody wants to hear me talk to myself, not even my in- to own inner thoughts. Now, who's with me today? It's Justin Cirillo, and I don't want to hear you talk to yourself either. Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, we've taken road trips together, and that would be, wor- be the worst thing to hear. <laughs> just me mumbling to myself. Coxsackie. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> if you don't know, there's a town in upstate New York called Coxsackie. It is spelled just like how it sounds. It is hilarious. Just to, You have to yell out the name whenever you pass it. We've gotten our first inside joke out of the box before a minute in. There we go. Yeah, there we go. So let's jump into Star Wars The Rogue One trailer and Daredevil Season 2. see the trailer uh star wars rogue one i saw the trailer yesterday morning when i first woke up it was all over my facebook Mm -hmm. uh page so uh, before i even left my bed i uh i watched the trailer and i was like all right more star wars let's do this it's funny that you say that because I did the exact same things. I woke up, I, I look over, I look at my phone, and I see the, and I knew that it was being released the following day because I saw like the one teaser shot. It's just like the stormtrooper turning towards camera, and like you see, it looks like um, somebody's moisture farm is on fire in the background. And I'm like, oh, it's probably gonna be premiered in the afternoon or whatever. No, it was right there early in the morning. And I watched it. I was watching. I was in my bed too, watching it. So we were both in each in our own beds, not each other's beds, our own beds, <laughs> watching Star Wars, being very happy. Make up your own jokes out of that. I don't. I'm not I gonna mean, say anything people else. People will. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's only two minutes long. Now, when it comes to uh, trailers, as of late. They can go a little too far in showing too much. Look at the Batman v Superman trailers for, as a prime example. Did you think this was an example of that? Uh, no, I thought it was the, uh, a, a good amount for a teaser trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, really, aside from introducing the main character and showing us a couple of cool shots of other stuff, mm-hmm. uh, it really didn't do too much. So it's sort of just... Gave you a general sense of what the film was about. Right. Which a lot of people had no idea what this was going to be about. The only thing we really heard about it was it was going to take place sometime before the uh, the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a new story. And I think the only detail about the plot 
was that it was going to be a heist movie. Right. So we, I mean, the audience really had no idea what to expect. Right. And as we find out that uh, the main character, um, uh, Jin Urso, I think that's how you pronounce it, played by Felicity Jones. <laughs> Eddie Jones. <laughs> that's the second inside joke on right there. <laughs> Oh, uh, Chris, we miss you. We wish you were on this podcast, but he he could not be on the podcast with us. I, I just don't think he wanted to talk about Madame Gal. Yes, I mean, Madame Gal, even though she's only in one scene in Daredevil <laughs> Season 2, like, that's still probably infuriated him. He probably did the Stone Cold Devil Middle Fingers to the screen when he when she popped up. What? What? <laughs> and stunned his monitor, realizing, oh, wait, I probably shouldn't have done that. Moving on. Um, but he will be back uh, for when we cover all the CW TV shows at the once those seasons are over. I know just has been. It's funny because I talked to Chris like last summer, like we should cover the Flash season. I'm like, well, the next season's about to start. That's what he said. I'm like, all right, good point. We'll just cover it when it gets over mm-hmm. the middle of this, this season. You're just like, we got to cover this. I'm like, yeah. yes. Once, <laughs> pretty much. I think even before the mid season break, you brought that up. Yeah, uh, yeah. This was probably Thanksgiving, the last time we. Uh, uh, oh no, the last time all three of us podcasted with Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones. Right, and that's when like, the idea is like, all right, once the season's over, we'll cover it. But back to Star Wars. Um, so we, like, as we later find out in this trailer, it's like this ragtag group of people have come together to steal the plans of the original Death Star. And if you know your history, it's going to be given to Princess Leia. And then she's going to give the plans to R2 and stuff like that. I, I bet you like the last shot we see is that the... Uh, um, a reverse of the opening shot of New Hope is like cameras low, the um, blockade runner is going to run in front of us, and then Star Destroyer is going to roll over us. And that's how they're going to roll the credits. Maybe it'll be Felicity Jones just holding out the plants to the Death Star, and young Princess Leia just like oh, stares scary. at her. <sighs> and then like one, weird, one weird helicopter shot, yeah. and then over. <laughs> um, and then a lot of people are complaining, like, what about the Bothans? Why aren't the Bothans here? And I'm like, well, first of all, that was the second Death, Death Star. Star. I, I, that's, what? Uh, really? Yeah. That, that's something that, like, I, I know it's really trivial. It's a real nerdy thing to get, to get up in arms about the people getting that wrong. And, like, but also if you want to get super nerdy, if you know the extended Star Wars universe, you know the Bothans have feathers and stuff like that and have a weird... Physiology, if you're going by the uh, Thrawn trilogy. Oh, God. Uh, Everybody just clicked off once I mentioned that, didn't they? Um, So so we find out that they're going to be stealing the plans to the original Death Star, and that we don't know what's going to happen to this main character. We don't know if that's part of the heist. That we see the last shot is a scene of her in the full Imperial gear. We don't know if she's going undercover or if she's actually been seduced by the Imperial uh, side of the war. Now, when as this is a lead into episode four, how do you think it feels going into it? Like, talking about the texture of the what we can tell from this trailer, uh, it looks pretty dark. Like uh, one of, I guess one of my complaints, or many complaints about the uh, prequels is mm-hmm. that. Up and you didn't even see Darth Vader, like, really get to be. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. 
As Justin dies, I'll fill in the dead air. Hopefully he doesn't die. So, and you were saying? No, sorry, still alive. Uh, damn it. Um, hey, this poison tastes pretty good for water. <laughs> Wait, that's not the wrong... <laughs> um, you really didn't get to see Darth Vader be Darth Vader in the prequels. Um, he pretty much is just a whiny teenager throughout the final two movies. And the most, you know, badass thing he does is murder a school full of children. <laughs> so... I'll, I'll leave badass is the adjective you want to use to describe that act. No, I do want to qual- use that adjective because that is literally the only thing that, I mean, he does. I mean, that's how he becomes Darth Vader. It's yeah. not like, you know... He killed Mace Windu. Right. Well, he helped, sort of did. Helped it, but that was more accidental. He got an assist for that yeah. one. Um, I mean, it's not like we saw him hunt down all the Jedi like the was, original trilogy said. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. He betrayed and murdered your father. Terrible Alec Guinness. Sorry. All right, then. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So, uh, I think one of the main... Rumors we're hearing about this upcoming movie is you're really going to see um, the Empire be really deadly, really fearful, sort of like even more than what we saw in A New Hope. Right. And obviously in Empire, uh, the Battle of Hoth, you get to see them do some pretty uh, cool things. Right. But I think from what we saw <clears throat> with the... Um, with the ATATs attacking, like this, people that are shooting like handguns at them. Yeah, yeah, that's a handgun. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say that. That's um, a handgun. We're in a, we're in a military helicopter with a bulletproof bomb. And- Jim Jeffries. <laughs> Jim Jeffries playing in the Middle East. Stand up. Watch that, and you will quote that for the rest of your days. I promise you. And I have to agree, it definitely seems darker in tone when it comes to, like, if you think of the prequels, like, it only gets dark for the last chapter, which goes against his, it's like poetry and rhymes, like, Attack of the Clones should have been the darker one, but it wasn't, and Revenge of the Sith is, because it had to end on a down note and stuff like that, but even, like, just, because this, this movie... At least from the trailer, it looks like it was shot practically. I mean, it looks like a lot of locations, a lot of real things are there. Especially when it goes to that one, like, um, in-space shot looking at the Death Star being completed, like, and the Star Destroyer is coming across frame. It does not look like CGI. That looks like a model. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was a model. It probably was if they're, if they're being this practical. And another thing that helps with the texture of it is, like, almost looks like most icy at one point where we see, like, a stormtroopers get uh, ambushed. Yeah. Um, now, one thing I wrote down that I want to talk about is the cinematography of this, because I knew going into this, uh, the Hateful Eight, Quentin Tarantino's latest movie, was shot on 70mm film. They used these super old Panavision lenses that looked beautiful, and I got a chance to see that on 70mm. It was a gorgeous movie, just bought on Blu-ray, I can't wait to watch it. Now, those same lenses were rented out to shoot this movie in super widescreen, so I'm like, ooh... (laughs) And then they're using the new high-def uh, cinema cameras, the Aria Alexa 65, which shot the Revenant. So you think the camera that shot the Revenant with those lenses, oh, I was just like, oh my. I was like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. 
And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I, I, I can't watch this on my phone. I had to put it on. I had, had to go to my computer and watch it in full 1080 right there. And I cannot wait um, to see it on the big screen. If they show it in regular IMAX and not just IMAX 3D, I'll go and see it like that. Now, there's uh, a funny moment. Not a funny moment, but... Um, the alarm sound that we hear briefly. Oh yeah, that was strange. I want because that's half the trailer. It's like it's like the new Alien slash Prometheus sound. I just want that to be my alarm clock now. I'll get out of bed when that thing's going off. That was at first. I oh, I wasn't sure if that was like part of the the trailer soundtrack, right? And then they just keep repeating. I'm like, oh my, what? The, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> like. If I remember now, I should probably drop the sound in right now just for shits and giggles. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, and we have Forrest Whitaker talking to hopefully the main character, seeing where she's going to go. We see Mon Mothma, and it looks like the actress playing Mon Mothma has a little. Oh more, my! It does. Have, it really does. It looks like her, and it seems like she has a little more range. Not saying the actress playing Mon Mothma in the original Return of the Jedi was bad. It was just like. She's been parodied so much for that one line delivery. Well, I mean, she had one scene, so I mean, that's not really Did, how much you can judge yeah. someone on. But like, many Bothans died to bring us this information. You were Bothans, mm-hmm. and why should we care? <laughs> General Nadine. <laughs> oh no, Admiral Akbar. <laughs> we have no choice. Our, our ships will not stand against that superstar destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, uh, uh, respect uh, to him. Uh, he just passed away. Yes, the man who voiced, voiced him, Admiral Akbar. Lee. You probably know his. Uh, you probably would know his name off the top of your head, but I've I remember it. seeing that last week about yeah. that, and and as well as the man who uh, designed the R two D two itself. Like he died maybe three weeks ago, hmm. and he died like penniless, or like or at least. And I kind of feel. I wonder why, but that's probably a whole story in and of itself. Hey, people are probably like, get to, get to Daredevil. You want to come to listen to Daredevil? <laughs> Did, he showed up in the Honest Trailers for The Force Awakens at the very end. The uh, guy who voiced uh, Mr. Plinkett on Red Letter Media. Really? They had all the old people who would voice the Honest Trailer voice. <gasps> and the very yes. end, it's like, hi hey guys, oh, how's it going on? <laughs> but how'd you get in here? I left the booth over. I never want a pizza roll. They're in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, final thoughts on the Rogue One trailer and expectations for it. Is it December yet? No, it feels like it, though, with how this weather it in New York right now. It, like, we may get snow tomorrow, and I'm like, why? I know it's totally dating itself. Everybody goes back and listens to this. But it is April 8th, 2016, and it is freezing. I, I don't it's, get it. It's not good. And it's not going to get any warmer next week. It's supposed to be like low 50s all next week. It's terrible. It's baseball season. It's got some like 70 degree days in there. Yes, please. Especially since like my dad got like his batch of like the season tickets for the Mets. So I'm like, like night games are the ones that we're going to be able to go to. Like, oh, 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 there it goes. It's going by the Shake Stack. I'm not going to the Shake Stack. I don't, I don't want that right now. Your Tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first inning. I'll see you at home. Yeah! yeah. <laughs> I think it's the best note to leave on. Let's move on to Daredevil Season 2, the Netflix series. Now, before we get into the synopsis, um... 
they released a few trailers before this, and they pretty much they did a plot trailer, then they did individual character trailers, specifically Elektra and Punisher. Um, your feelings on those when it was, was released on YouTube? I actually did not watch them. Oh, really? No. You sent me them, but I think... I don't know. I don't know why I didn't watch them. Probably because if I watched them, I would want the show to have been released immediately. Right. So I think the only one... I watched was like the season one in review trailer. Right. And then like the 30 second spot at the end yeah. of it, um, which actually makes sense because you, you were, you went in as cold as possible into the series now. All right. So Daredevil season two is released. You've watched it. Give us a brief synopsis on, there's a lot in this. There's, season. there's I, I don't even know where to begin because a lot of things happen. It's not as much of a um, uh, point A to point B no. that series one was. There's a lot of uh, different things. The characters are a lot more complex. Mm-hmm. The story certainly is a lot more uh, complex. And I don't know. I know for me, when I was watching it the first time, I generally loved everything that happened. But right. since it's been a week since I finished it. About a week ago. Thanks, please. <laughs> He's in Florida now. He's enjoying He's the in weather. Florida, <laughs> and we're here. And we should be enjoying the weather that he is dealing with. The right guy now. from Syracuse. I, I mean, he's from Syracuse. So he's had to put up with a lot worse weather than we have throughout our lives. But still. I, I just wanted to go to the beach and be like, guys, I'm at a beach. <laughs> What is this stuff? That's sand blaze. You know that's uh, well. You don't have Snapchat, but I know that Snapchat is coming probably in about two days. Yes, uh, lucky bastard. <laughs> I'm like now that we have a trip to Florida and see Blaze now. <laughs> I mean, there are worse things. There are worse I, places we could go. Yeah, like Mississippi, <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> oh God, or North Dakota. What do you guys against Dakota? He's a lovely man. Oh, shut up. I'll be seeing Dakota later tonight anyway. So, the synopsis of this season of Daredevil, which is the subject matter of this podcast. Months have gone by since the devil of Hell's Kitchen has become a public figure. People know about him and most people are like, yeah, he's doing the right thing. He's helping the police where they can't go. In his wake, just like the Dark Knight, which is a few things the Dark Knight and this have in common. In the wake of his vigilanteism, there has been somebody born within that. And that's when Frank Castle, the Punisher, comes to town, eliminating gangs left and right, including the Dogs of Hell, the the Irish gang from Hell's Kitchen, and I forget the, the drug cartel that's there as well. I think they just call him the cartel. Wow. Real magic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the devil and the Punisher come face-to-face at one point. <laughs> Have a long conversation on the rooftop. Actually, my favorite episode in the season. Punisher gets arrested. Matt Murdock, Foggy Nelson, and Karen Page decide, Hey, let's represent him. <laughs> it was... It's Larry stand up. Hey, guys, let's get some eight ball of cocaine. It'll last us all weekend. <laughs> Same four guys, four hours later. Yeah, let's get eight ball of cocaine. So they decide to represent Frank Castle in the murder case of like over thirty gang members that he is he's accused of murdering. At the same time, Electra, a the person who was alluded to in the first season, a college crush, well, college girlfriend, well, yeah, college girlfriend of Matt comes back into his life, 
and needs his help. So Matt is split between his duties as the devil, as the the uh, Murdoch of Nelson and Murdoch, and the man that's held, that is led by his penis when it comes to Electra. The hand is involved. Wilson F- Wilson Fisk is back to deal I with- am Wilson Fisk. I am. I see you got my message. <laughs> I'm here to deal with the Punisher and the Devil of Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> the hand is thrown in there, and a lot of other things are thrown in there. And it ends with spoilers: Electra apparently dying, and part of this big plan for the hand. Not the hand itself. That's a way to go. Just uh, it's all honest. I, I really. I'm- why am I here? I don't know. Give me thumbs up. My thumbs. I don't know. Point the finger at me. Say you're done. Shame. You're done. Clink. Shame. <laughs> I didn't even watch that show. So let's start with the characters. I know that's a very rough synopsis. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, watch the show. Don't well, listen to our. Well, yeah. Here's the thing. A lot of the plot is character driven. So I think throughout. Our discussion about the characters, what happens to them, will reveal what the story is. Right. So let's start with the titular character, Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil. Now, how did you feel about Matt during this second season? Uh, he, he was strange. Because, I don't know, the whole thing with him and Elektra, uh, him... Pretty much jeopardizing his uh, career, his career, just to help out uh, Electra, and at first with some, you know, really trivial stuff. Right. Um, didn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. Like I can understand uh, as the as his investigation into that progressed, it turned out he had to get more involved. And you sort of, you know, understand sort of why he went further down that hole. Right. Um, but it just, at the beginning, it made no sense because they have the trial of a lifetime. Right. Uh, defending the Punisher. Mm. And basically, it's Foggy who ends up doing a lot of the work. Foggy and Karen. Right. And... Uh, Matt at first tries to make excuses for why he's not, you know, around so much. He's preparing his opening statement. He's, you know, doing some research. But uh, he's predictable. He's boring. <laughs> my God. <laughs> All right. You think these jokes are bad. Wait until Justin and I start a Christopher Nolan series when we start reviewing all his movies. You know, you know what we should do? We should do me, Larry, and you a commentary on the pre- prestige. I think that's how it's, that's how it's going to end up. Anyway, <laughs> with like, I have to agree with uh, Justin with like how Matt's uh, feelings are in, in this uh, season. I mean, he definitely starts is like. The first season is definitely a dark, gritty crime story with a vigilante. They've gone to full superhero tropes in the season, for better or for worse. We'll mm-hmm. get into the worst parts because there are some things that are really stupid, and it's been a thing that in so many comic book shows, secret identities. We'll get to that. Later. Yeah, I, and I will get to that too. I have a whole like theory about the second act of a superhero movie. Right. Um, 
or in this case, series. It's funny that you mentioned that is because somebody said, I forget who it was. I think it was, was it Mark Millar? I don't know. That comic books are perpetual second acts. The first act is the origin. The, the third act is always going to be the death of the character. And this is, you're never really going to kill the character. You're just perpetually writing the, sec, the second act monthly mm-hmm. to monthly. So it is tough and you have to invent things and contrive things. But sometimes when you translate that to a new medium, it kind of falls flat. Since, all right, let's not dance around the bush. Let's talk about Matt keeping his identity away from Karen. I, I felt this um, season felt or, or fell into the same track we've seen other superhero uh, movie series fall into. Mm-hmm. The best example I can think of is Spider-Man 2. Yes. Where first act, he becomes a hero. Second act, it's trying to balance his real life with his crime-fighting life. Mm -hmm. And so, in a way, I felt this was a little less original Mm -hmm. than uh, I had expected this season to be. Right. Because pretty much, he starts, or Matt starts looking into... um, this organization, uh, what was the corporation name? Rocks, the Roxon yes. Corporation. Roxon, Roxon. Ro- <laughs> yeah, the the Roxon Corporation, which at first, um, Electra just wants him to, I guess, shadow her. He just stood ominously on a skyscraper, listening, listening. Uh, to a conversation for no reason when he could have been preparing for his uh, Punisher case. I just wanted to look out the window, like the window watch to look across the street to see if Blind Man is kind of like w- rocking back and forth at something like, like a, oh God, the homeless has gone on the roof. It was, I, it was like a 60-story building. How did he get on top of that? Yeah, but also he also hears a bus across the city full of people that's true that was but that was a cool i think yeah i think we could let that slide a little bit more but i understand what you're saying there with like we've seen on arrow we've seen a lot on Arrow. we've seen on the flash we've seen it too much on arrow about secret identities i mean like i mean jesus i'm surprised like oliver queen hasn't come out and be like hey god like Done a full Iron Man, have a press conference like like i am i am i am that's how season four ends (laughs) Somebody just caps him right there. He wasn't expecting it. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody who decided not to vote for him, like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, um, and, like, Foggy knows that he's the devil's hell's kitchen. Karen does not. And so Foggy understands why he's not there for a good amount of the time until it gets to the breaking point where their friendship kind of falls apart in that one bathroom scene, which... It was kind of hard for me to see because you, you hate to see your friends fight. Mm-hmm. And I just felt really uncomfortable during that. And then Karen's like, where have you been? Why are you still getting bruises? Are you really part of a fight club? Just be like, and like, and she's like livid at him at one point during outside the courthouse after she believes she's been assassination attempt by the Punisher when they killed the, the district attorney, the, uh, Reyes just sort of pulled her close and been like, I'm the devil of hell's kitchen. And, she, and then have been like, oh. Oh, okay. And also, she's been this close to him in both real life, and I mean, both as Matt and as as Daredevil, and she has not noticed. 
It's the mask. I, 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 he doesn't really hide his voice. So, I mean, like, uh, like Oliver yeah, Queen, Oliver Queen, and with the voice modulator, the same thing. The Flash. That makes sense. You're not gonna be able. To, you're not gonna be able to tell it. So. And we all know about Christian Bale and Ben Affleck. Do you bleed? <sighs> you will. Um, and so Matt being caught in between, like his. I understand his like. Not, I want to say devotion or feelings towards Electra. We've known people who've had like very venomous relationships, and they're kind of like you realize, no, she's bad for you, or he's bad for you. Don't go back to him. Like, just stop. Just do whatever you're doing. And the person never does and never learns. I've seen that happen, and I and I kind of understand where they're coming from when it comes to Electra and um, Daredevil, with the point that you're pretending to be a couple shooking each other in a conference room so you don't get executed by security guards, you may sure to stop and wonder yourself, all right, I may not be able to read the bank account that, uh, that she dropped money into, but it may not be worth it to loot, jeopardize your friendship with all your coworkers. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, that, the whole uh, beginning of, of that relationship made no sense because it was just like, he seemed completely disinterested. He's like, and he says, I, I can't be helping you. Right. But yet, there Just he goes. There he goes. He, there he goes. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> Bye, Maddie. Hope you find the hand. <laughs> Thanks, the audience. <laughs> um, and I like the fact that there's even one point where Matt, like, says, like, all right, we should do this together and we should be together. And, like, Electra's like, no. No. This is no. actually a really bad idea for us to be together. And he's like, oh. Oh. <laughs> I'll go then. Bye. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, but the stuff I really like about him is when we flash back to him in college and yes. then their relationship started. Even, like, they're fighting in the gym and then immediately have sex on the – probably, like, one of the sweatiest, like um, – uh, boxing rings in New York City. Yeah. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know about that. I was like, I understand like getting like frisky and stuff like that, but I assume that's what super. I mean, we've seen that in Jessica Jones with uh, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones beat the shit out of each other <laughs> and destroying the apartment and having sex. <laughs> I mean, they did something that's similar in Buffy where Buffy starts having an affair with Spike, which was an, an antagonist first, and he's a vampire. And they, like, hate each other, but they're so attracted to each other, they tear the building down around them. Like, it needs to be demolished after they're done the following morning. Well. <laughs> yeah. I just feel bad for whatever boxing match was on after that. <laughs> ah! Oh, I slipped oh, on. I just slip on it. Fluids. No. <laughs> it's a mix there of colors. I don't know what it is. Um, so I think... Adhering to the superhero formula, I think that's kind of where um, Matt kind of suffers a little bit. Yeah. I mean, my favorite, other than the flashback stuff, is when after his first encounter with the Punisher and he's recovering and he loses his hearing. That, I thought, like, oh, that must be terrifying for him right there. I'm like, yeah. I'm like I, Vicky uh, was watching with me. I'm like, oh, my God, he's got full Helen Keller. <laughs> and she's like, seriously like I, he's not gonna hear it who's he gonna complain to <laughs> yes i am a horrible human being but i like how he is at the end of the season when he's 
fully tells Karen that he's the devil. I'm kind of curious to see where he's going. But since we brought up Karen several times as well as Poggy, let's go with Karen next. Well, what do you think of Karen Page in this season? I sort of expected her dark side, which they alluded to in season one, to come out a bit more. Especially uh, since Matt ends up kind of, well, maybe not like cheating on her, but emotionally cheating on her. Yes. Uh, so I thought you would have seen that side come out of her, but really her, I guess, devotion to trying to prove that Frank Castle isn't a murdering psychopath was really her defining trait in the series. And the joke that I've made with you and Chris, something that really bothered me is that, I don't know, her eyes are very puffy throughout the entire season. I know it's a really trivial thing to notice, but... Since you're a TV show that shoots a lot in close-ups, like, it looks like she cried or, like, just finished crying right before each take. I'm like, just give her some Benadryl or something. Like, her <laughs> allergies are really acting up right now. It's something that really bothered me. But going to one where you were saying that that she was willing to fight for justice or, like, trying to find justice for Frank Castle, saying that he's not 100% accountable for his crimes... Um, as well as becoming a journalist halfway through the season. Yeah, that was, I mean, you brought this up last week. Did she get paid for that entire, like, two-month stint she was, you know, trying to write and not write a single article? I mean, like, if I got a job at a newspaper and I didn't write an article for two months, you know what happened to me? I'd be fired. (laughs) But then again, I don't think my boss is trying to sleep with me. I get that feeling. That's true, yes, yes. However, Karen's actions, I think, is the lightest thing. And it's like a, kind of like a beacon of hope throughout this entire season. And I realized this. Like, a lot of people are saying with Batman v Superman that it's kind of relentless, that it's too dark and depressing. Watch this in a binge. You'll feel Daredevil. Like, you'll feel kind of, like, dreary at the end of it. Just, like, might as well just open your artery, like, veins. It's like, <laughs> I, 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 it will absolve me from dealing with the show any longer. But I think that's where Karen really stands out, that she's, along with Foggy, that they're, even Foggy has his moments of doubt, that Karen's willing to do anything for the right reasons. But like you said, they've alluded to her dark past, and they didn't pay And she has killed a man. She, nothing comes about that. Nobody <laughs> knows that she's murdered a guy. <laughs> yeah, that isn't brought she, up. But she didn't kill him with a trident, though. <laughs> that isn't brought up a single damn time in this season. Karen, you shot a man from like two feet away, right in the face. Now the question is, oh, sorry, the question is the car that she's driving that she said it's not hers when she's trying to escape the hospital with the one Irish gang member that the punch is going after. Yes, is that Foggy's car or is that Wesley's car? <laughs> she just GTA that motherfucker. She double tapped him and stole his car, and nobody's realized this. Like, granted, it's, it's the city and crimes happen every day, but, yeah. like, but you think Fisk would be like, is Where's everybody know where her car is? Wesley's car is? Because he's got my little binky in there. I can't go on without it or Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts to do that impression. <laughs> um, and another thing that kind of bothered me about Karen Page is that now that I know the actress is a natural redhead and that she looks gorgeous as a redhead. You're jealous? What, that she can be blonde too? Oh, yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I wish I was a gorgeous redhead too. I know. 
I'm losing weight. What do you want from me? <laughs> and I'm turning all burn. That's where my hair is going. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, ooh, hey, oh, oof, uh, blue and onion. Oh, man, hey. <laughs> Oh, we gotta get Not them on. Islanders. <laughs> we gotta get Drew on a podcast once, but... <laughs> Do we? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> nah, nah. Yeah. Sebastian, yeah. but not Joe. Zing. F- shots fired, bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> shots at his Jeep. <laughs> it was a giant it's, it's gonna be a Jeep podcast. Oh, boy. Anyway. And then seeing her as a blonde on the show kind of was like, oh, man, like... And let's die. It's kind of distracting. Anyway, Karen Page, like, other than, like, the very minor things that are just, I'm nitpicking at that point. I think she was one of the best parts of this, this season. Yeah. Um, let's go to the other um, name in Nelson and Murdoch. Foggy Nelson. Then we find out his first name is, uh, what was it, Franklin? Yes, Franklin. Which, I should have known that, but, like, they never like they never say that in the first season. I they, thought they did in the first season. No, because I remember we – because Chris asked me on the first podcast, is did they mention it? And we looked at IMDb, to be, and it was just simply as Foggy Nelson. Oh, well. 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 Right? Fuck I, me. I guess that's right. <laughs> Your feelings on Foggy this season. <laughs> he was as good as he was in the first season. He was better than Matt in this season. Um, who plays Foggy Nelson? Uno momento. I should know this. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the guys from uh, Mighty Ducks. So they were offside. <laughs> Larry, you're offside. <laughs> oh man! And the actor playing is uh, Eldon Henson. E L D E N. That's probably why I didn't remember that name. <laughs> it's not a name. He's one of the Bash Brothers too. That's the funny thing. He's one of the the Slapshot. But go on. Eldon Hammond. 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 Henson. 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 Like Jim Eldon Henson. Henson. <laughs> Eldon Henson. Come on down. You just won yourself $64,000. Go on. Eldon Henson. Great job with the character. Oh, yeah. Um, because this is a character this season that was really tested emotionally mm-hmm. because of, one, he's ultra stressed out about um, the Punisher case. He probably still harbors feelings for Karen, even though it's uh, well hinted that he's still seeing that blonde girl from, um, oh, from season one. Yes, and her name is Marcy Stahl. Marcy Stahl. She stole his heart. Oh, <laughs> motherfucker. Um, and finally, he's like... Incredibly concerned over Matt, who night after night is going out risking his life and uh, Nelson's own, you know, livelihood right. by blowing off on on their uh, their legal duties. Mm-hmm. And so he had uh, he really had to bring it in this uh, season, and he really steps to the plate when it comes to it, like. That he, when it comes, when the castle trial is first day of the trial, and he has to make his open statements, and he's waiting for the last second. Hopefully, Matt will show up and save him, not have to do the opening statement. He's like, "Oh, I guess I got to do it now." <laughs> and he's like, stands up, he's got his cue cards, he's shaking a little, throws them down, and he wings it. Fuck it, we'll do it live, yeah. pretty much. And he crushes it. 
and he builds a fantastic case to lead reasonable doubt within the jury, as well as the fact that, like, he, first episode, he goes to see one of the, trying to fight Smitty, Dogs of Hell member, goes to Dogs of Hell uh, club, almost gets, like, shanked by everybody in there, but he's willing to find out what happened to Smitty. Like, oh, remember we alluded to the fact that there was a massacre last week? Smitty was amongst those people that were died. And that he grows a backbone uh, yeah. to Matt that, like, Matt, like, he's not subservient to him. Like, that, like they say, the bathroom scene when they have pretty much they're falling out. It's, it's one, like, finest acting job I've seen in an, a comic book TV show. And then when he finally gets injured and he's saying, like, Matt, like, I'm sorry, kind of like that. And then how the resolution happens that he's going to join this new firm mm-hmm. where uh, Hogarth, Hogarth of uh, Jessica Jones shows up. Uh, and <laughs> I was like, oh, they did a thing. They did a thing like they did and Jessica Jones with Claire, that sort of thing. Move that thing! Move that other thing! And so... And it was funny that, like, Vicky's watching him with me. He's like, did he put on weight a little bit? And I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, like, he did it for the role just, like, to make it look, like, larger. But I like the fact that he gets to have somewhat of a happy ending. But he still has that relationship with Marcy and has a job opportunity working for Hogarth's uh, legal team. I was kind of curious. Like, I hope, like, in Jessica Jones, too, where Jessica has to go to – has to be – have legal representation that he's the one that represents her. I hope so. That would be wonderful. I mean, because we tiptoed around people showing up and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know why you don't have, like, kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, why not have him show up for a few minutes? I mean, hell, at the end of the season, we see a 20-second trailer for Luke Cage. Might as well have uh, uh, these actors just show up for a day just to be in one episode. It made fans around the world go, oh, my God, <laughs> <laughs> it's like Foggy's at a bar and he hears quiet and Foggy just goes quiet like oh, Kilgrave is like oh it's it's before that it's a, it's a good. another thing that Hogarth showing up at the end her scars or like lack of scars from that hours <laughs> and cuts that she was promised by her uh, uh, wife did not show up she has a lot of money plastic uh, surgery, surgery. Um, any last thoughts on Foggy um he was the best part about this season for me. Uh, he he showed real emotion in his scenes and a lot of, you know, really high emotional moments. Yeah. And it would have been difficult for any actor to successfully pull that off episode after episode. Right. And he, he did it superbly. From your favorite part of the season to my favorite part of the season, let's talk about Frank Castle, the Punisher. Now... The Punisher has been my second favorite comic book character after Batman for a number of years. Your favorite character is Batman? Yeah, who would have thought? I had no idea. Not at all. <laughs> go go figure. <laughs> Says the guy who had a surprise birthday and it was just Batman braving <laughs> balloons and like Sandys everywhere. I mean, like I still have one of them taped at my door. And... I have seen like like every iteration of the Punisher up until this point, including with the Dolph Lundgren Punisher of 1989. Yeah, the 2004 Dolph was Ziggler. Not, oh, oh. That, I mean, 
<laughs> comes out shaking and then blows people away with guns, not, not in a sexual way. I mean, just talk to Lana. She was talking about things being blown away by Dolph Ziggler. Uh, 2004 with Thomas Jane as the Punisher with Tom, John Travolta as a gangster. It's so weird. I know. I say give that one a chance. 2008 Warzone, where it's so over the top at one point, played by a different actor. I think it's Ray Stevenson. At one point, they go full comic book with this movie that there's a parkour gang sent after. Parkour. Parkour sent after the Punisher. And they're doing their flips and shit across rooftops. And one dude is mid-flip from one roof to the other. And Castle takes him out of the rocket launcher mid-flip and he explodes. <laughs> he punches holes in people's heads. He blows heads off and stuff like that. Like, really over the top. And now we have the Netflix season series of iteration of this character played by John Bernthal. Now, John Bernthal, everybody would know from The Walking Dead as Shane or in uh, The Wolf of Wall Street and many other things, um, including Fury. He He's probably one of the best cast comic book characters I've ever seen. I love Thomas Jane, and he did a fantastic job, but this is... A, he only had two hours and a one movie and a short film after that versus like 10 hours worth of material here in this season. Now, how do you feel about uh, seeing The Punisher the first time on this series? He was a really cool, uh, not villain, but uh, you anti-hero. described him, anti-hero. Um, I, I think, well, really early on you get to see how much damage this guy can do by himself. Because his first scene is the one where he takes out... Um, the Irish gang. The Irish gang. And you just see, like, this hailstorm of bullets take out, you know, 20 people all sitting in a room. And no one knows what just hit them. Everybody assumes it's a squad of dudes. Yeah. And then it's not until later in the episode where Matt's interrogating a victim of the Punisher. And he's like, no, not gang... It's one man, and as, as the Punisher, they cross cut with the Punisher walking into the uh, hospital. And my favorite moment in that is when he's walking to the hospital, he's got a shotgun slung under his arm underneath the jacket with the barrel sticking out. So he's got his hand on his side trying to hide the barrel. Security guard notices him, pulls his piece. He does not, Punisher does not break his stride, walks up to him, takes the gun away from him, clocks the dude, yes. and. Ejects the magazine and throws the gun in the uh, biohazard wastebasket, not closing it with the hit without stopping. I thought that was <laughs> a really cool introduction. We don't even see his face. We don't see his face until the very like second to last shot of the episode because he's held in shadow this entire time. They don't do the usual three episode until we see them motif that was in the first season of Daredevil and killed in uh, Just- Jessica Jones. Which, thank goodness, because... I don't think we've been able to deal with that much anticipation. Yeah. And the reason why I think I love him so much in this season is because it shows that, like the Punisher, has a damaged background and he fully believes he's unjustified in his cause. And it's kind of hard to argue with somebody who's really fully believes in what he's doing. Look at the Emperor. The Emperor believes he he's the full right of what he's doing and he you can't take your eyes off of him. Same thing with Hannibal Lecter. Not saying that the Punisher is a villain, but that he fully believes that he has such conviction behind him. Um, and then the, the speeches he has, like, I think you're a half measure. I think you're, you don't go far enough. And I kind of agree with him. At yeah. I mean, at least within comic books context, there are times like 
How many crimes would have been stopped if Batman killed the Joker? Right. How many lives would have been saved? Or if, like, what if Green Arrow was still killing people on this show, how many people would still be alive? <laughs> Quite a lot. <laughs> would that include Felicity? Well, we'll get to her eventually. And but there's something really funny about his performance that kind of, like, I, I, I noticed is that they're saying, like, he's from New York and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but there was a slight southern twang to certain pronunciation of words in the first yeah. and I'm just like, like, where are you from? And I'm just like... Yes, New York. Oh, maybe New York, too, or upstate New York. That's not New York. And my favorite episode of the season is with him in episode three when they're on the rooftop where he has... He's incapacitated Daredevil. Yep. And he's chained him, and they... Dado tries to, like, talk him out of it, tries to find out who he is, and he's just loading rounds with the magazines and getting ready for something. And then eventually he, has, he gives him the time of day and have a conversation with him. And what were your feelings on that, that episode specifically? That was, um, it wasn't the first time we, uh, was it the first time we get to hear him do dialogue? He says bang in the first episode when he blows, and he has dialogue with the pawn shop owner. Okay. But this is the first like real. This is the first, scene. yeah. It's the first conversation, and I just remember watching it and saying to myself, "Okay, obviously John Bernthal, fine actor, yeah, great, great casting, and he fit the part, um, and he really scared you, yeah, because you didn't know. I I think you knew he was going to snap. You just didn't know when, when it was." When it was going to happen. So you're watching. First time he's on screen. And you know. All right, what's going to happen? What's he going to do here? And then he's you know really. For the most part. Mild mannered. Mm-hmm. Polite. Polite. You know not. Not crazy. No. In that scene at all. Um, and you, you get to find out a lot about his background. He used to be in the military. Mm-hmm. Has that. Nice scene with, um, uh, I guess that was the, the the landlord of the building. Right. And it's funny. I noticed something that when they when he mentions he's a military man, the landlord says, me too. And he mentions the unit he was in, and he was in Vietnam. Now, Punisher was first introduced in Spider-Man as a hitman to take out Spider-Man by a character named the Jackal. And we later expand upon that he was a Vietnam vet, and then they mentioned what unit he was in. I looked it up. The unit that the landlord mentioned is the unit that Frank Castle was a part of yeah. when, in the original publication. Obviously, for this show, he's a he's probably he is a uh, Iraqi Freedom uh, soldier and stuff like that. And I thought that was a really cool moment. And that it was also a really terrifying moment because he's standing half on one side of the door and half on the other, talking to him, and he's got the gun pressed against the door at the man's head. And Matt hears the hammer click back like, uh, uh I, I, I should shut up now. I should stop making noise because I'm going to get this dude killed. And something that he brought up later, like, in the first introduction, we don't see um, the Punisher from the face. We just see him walk through the hospital and he's firing shotgun rounds at Karen and these uh, witness that was from the first shooting that he did. He keeps missing. And I'm like, the Punisher wouldn't miss. And then he brings up later on, like, no, because I didn't want to get you killed. I wanted him. So I shot around you to get you scared. Hopefully you guys would split up. 
And he says, I don't miss. I'm like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that makes more, that makes that seem more sense. And joke I made is that he has a high caffeinated diet. He drinks a lot of black coffee in it. And I'm like, maybe he just switched to decaf or green tea. Maybe he wouldn't be on such a kill Green spurt. tea. That, that really calms it down. Yeah, maybe be a like, nice chamomile. Exactly. And just be like, just, just, just relax a little bit. Maybe push the bullet out of his own head. Who knows? <laughs> it was something that I noticed throughout the entire season. And you know, he's saying before when he, he thought he was ready to snap, the first inclination of that is when he goes to the pawn shop to get the like CB radio uh, for the police band. Mm-hmm. He's leaving, and the pawn shop owner tries to sell him pornography, including child pornography. He stops dead where he is, right. flips the sign from open to close, close, and he picks up the baseball bat, and you're like, Oh, and then you, at that point, you're like, oh, this guy deserves it. And you're like, but what is he going to do with that bat to him? And then it just cuts away after he gets hit. And you're like, oh. Another thing with this <laughs> season that's very exemplary with the Punisher, it seems like there's a lot of everything. There was a lot of violence in the first season of Daredevil, and there's a lot more in this one. There's a lot like, more in this one. It seems like everything, I don't say like they threw everything in. They could, like, there's one moment. Later in the season when there's a diner scene where Karen is being attacked by uh, people that the uh, – was it the blacksmith? The person that's responsible for the castle's parents uh, – castle's family being murdered. Mm-hmm. Show up at the diner and punch and defends himself. He's punching a dude in the face. He's like shadow punching him. And a piece of his cheekbone yeah, pokes out. And I'm, like, out. I'm like, oh, oh. After he stabbed him with the, the coffee pot, you see, he'd be like, coffee kills, man. Oh, do you think, <laughs> on the subject, do you think it went too far with the violence in the season? Um, it's tough. It's tough for me to say. I generally don't mind it. Right. So, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're a little bit squeamish. Yeah. Probably best if you, uh... Turn your head away mm-hmm. at sometimes. Um, I didn't think it went too far for for my taste. Right now, I mean, I'm pretty liberal when it comes to that. But like, yeah, I can understand, you know, some people being yeah a little. I mean, like, is Netflix show right? They don't have they have it's their own personal rating of right. what they want to show or not. So you know what you're getting into. It's obviously this is a show you don't show your kids. And obviously, if you knew, yeah, you don't, yeah, obviously that. And if you saw the first season, you should know um, sort of what you're dealing with. I mean, in the first season, let's not forget, they lit a man on fire. And beheaded a dude with a car door. Yeah. So, I mean, the first season sort of set you up for that. So if, if you weren't turned away by what you saw in the first season... You weren't going to be... Yeah. Um, and something uh, going on with the excessive like violence and stuff like that, a little bit more language was used in here. Like, well, shit was uttered a lot in the season, as well as the first time the F-bomb is dropped in the MCU. During that scene on the, the, the rooftop, Punisher actually finally sits down across from Indian side to talk to the Daredevil, and the argument is getting more and more violent. And like he's at one point, he's like, oh, fuck. And he did, it's very. I didn't hear it at first. I'm like, wait, back it up, put on the really? subtitles. And I'm just like, he did say. It. And I'm like, huh, huh. So like, so it's just 
Iron Man got to start dropping f bombs in Captain America. Who knows? That's, that's the that's the unrated cut for DVD. Um, he was my friend. Fuck you. <laughs> Reminds me of the Terminator. Hey, buddy, you got a dead cat in there or what? Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> and there was, and, and I thought about that. The the Irish gang getting together and talking about it, like, we should kill that freaking guy. And I'm like, oh, you oh, want to say the F word a lot. You really want to say <laughs> it. But you can't because I'm like, ah, but then they do it anyway. So I, I found that kind of uh, strange. Now, the Punisher, the incarnation we're dealing with is pretty much from the Garth Ernest's run, as well as like something from the Circle of Blood, specifically when uh, the Punisher's in Rikers dealing with, uh, uh, that's a joke that Chris will get. I knew a guy in Rikers. Uh, where the Punisher escapes. But Garth Ennis took over the character in 2000 and pretty much wrote it as like a middle-aged Punisher that he's on this ongoing war. And and I got it right here, the Welcome Back Frank uh, arc. He does have it right there. He's turning to the page now. That Oh, yeah, that that uh, Daredevil's tied up with the 357 Magnum like taped in his hand. If you want to stop me, you're going to have to shoot me. And I was just like, wait, I bet you they do this. And I pulled up my wall and I showed it to uh, Vicky. I'm like, I bet you they do this. And it shows up. I'm like, I have no life. I, I've come to terms with this. If he shot the Punisher, how would he escape those chains? Ah! <laughs> I just wiggled his way out. <laughs> um, and then the very, like, and another thing with the Punisher is that he keeps getting beaten up a lot in the season, so he has a lot of bruises. And I wonder, like, he could, like, put stuff on his face to kind of minimize that if he wanted to. Or try and, like, maybe ice it up to put the swelling down. Do you think he keeps those there so people don't look him in the face on the street? Possibly. And just, I just feel bad for the makeup artist every day. To, like, oh, what day in the story are we? Because <laughs> there's different wounds he has, we have to uh, take into account. Then maybe they disappear like Hogarths. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> because, like, during the dynasty, he's kind of healed. And then after that dynasty, he's like, nope, nope, yeah, those nope. are back now. And the last two things I'll bring up is that in the, the end of the season where Elektra and Daredevil fighting the hand on the rooftop, the, the Punisher shows up with a sniper rifle and caps a few of the hand members and to help him because the Daredevil has helped them throughout the season. Like, go get him, Red. Now, does he? Do you think he knows that Matt and Daredevil was one and the same? I think he knows. But he never says it explicitly. Never says it explicitly. But uh, again, like you brought up when when we were talking about Karen, um, Frank has seen Matt up close, yeah, and he's seen Daredevil up close, and you don't need to be an idiot to realize <laughs> they're the same people. <laughs> Palpatine is behind it all. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing is that we find out that he, after his parent, his family, oh, I keep saying his parents, after his family was uh, murdered, he never went back to his house. Um, and he goes back and gets a few things. And he sets it ablaze, but he walks out with a minigun strapped to him with the, like, all the rounds going through the, the duffel bag behind him as the house blows up behind him. That is a little gratuitous for me. When, when Karen went to, like, go investigate his house, did you get, like, that Jessica Jones? Um, I thought it was the same house. Or oh, it was the same I, neighborhood. I didn't think it was the same house. Could have been the same neighborhood. But I was like, huh. And all the house returns. 
especially and another funny thing is that in the Spider-Man TV show in the 90s, the animated one, the Punisher had... Is that where they get the memes from? Kind of. Okay. No, no, no. That's the 60s show. Oh, okay. The Punisher had a battle van that was voice activated and stuff like that. And he'd always say, battle van, execute, order this. And like, tourists come out, start firing at him. And he has a van at one point in this season. I text Dakota, like, the Punisher has a van in this show. And he texts back in all caps, battle van, exclamation points. And they're opening it because he's stolen money off the Irish gang. And I'm like, I'm like, I bet you it's booby trap. Kaboom. And I'm like, yep, told you. Told you. How hilarious would it have been if Karen went into the house and was booby-trapped? <laughs> she gets fried trying to be a dude and gets blown up by the Punisher inadvertently. That would, uh, that'd be a plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, okay. Um, any last words you want to say on the Punisher? Um, he killed it, that's for sure. I hate you so much. <laughs> I'm just punishing you with these jokes now. <laughs> Your feelings on Electro. <laughs> that hurt to stop a dime like that, by the way. All right. You know how Chris felt about Madame Gowell? Yeah. That's my feelings towards Electra. Really? Yes. Why? Okay. Is it the actress or the character itself? Oh, it's just, just the character. Okay. Because um, it's pretty much, at first, a damsel in distress thing. Right. Like, oh, please help me this... Being corporation is being mean to me. <laughs> Just imagine her like hitting her, like standing up against the corporation, being with like the weak parts of her palms of her hands, like uh, like old like thirties like women trying to fight fight against monsters. Go on. And then she sort of just seduces Matt, not in that way, but like you know, emotionally, yeah, leading him away from. Um, his real life, mm-hmm. and I'd imagine there are more people to, that need to be saved in Hell's Kitchen than just people under attack from the hand. Yeah. So, I mean... There's probably... How many robberies are probably going on exactly. right now? Yeah. I mean, the season opens up with a robbery that ends up in a shootout in a church. I mean, like, if these people are willing to kill in a church, and you're in this high-rise defending against ninjas, there's probably... There's probably how many sexual assaults and, like, uh, things being robbed right now in Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> so, yeah. She, she was... <sighs> Sorry for the banks check, everybody. I mean, you've had a beer. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and then you really you tell us how you feel about Electra. <laughs> I think... Electra was... Um, I understand her purpose was to be this sort of character. Yes. Um, however, it's just a lot of... Um, I don't even know the right way to describe it. It's like you, you watch something and you keep shouting at the characters, No! 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 You did it anyway. Don't go in there. Don't do don't it. Go in, don't open that. <laughs> you open the door. There's the giant 40-story pit. That that we're never going to explain. If that's a setup to be paid off later, I'll be fine with that. But until then, I'm going to be pissed. Nobody realizes the construction that has digged a 40-story hole in the middle of Manhattan that nobody fucking notices. See, here's the thing. The lead-up to her episodes and her uh, side plots with Matt 
are great. Everything about it is um, really intense. There are some really good scenes, some really good fight scenes in there. Right. And on first watch, I loved it. I was intrigued by the mystery of it. Mm-hmm. And the whole build up the whole build up with her character when it finally um they finally reveal what her overall purpose to the story is just is so deflating that it's like what like since I know the comic arcs with it, like with Frank Miller, when he introduced Electra is his character. He introduced her. And I knew that she is killed by a character named Bullseye in the comics and comes back as a, an assassin later on. Like she's an assassin to begin with, but comes back as a heartless assassin. So I knew she's probably going to die, so that did not shock me. Um, yeah, she dies at the end of the season, but it's all part of the... It's all part of a plan. plan. That goes to fucking nowhere! I'm sorry! Yeah. That's the problem with you know you have an established story. Like, you think of The Flash, and each cliffhanger at the end of each episode, you want to know what's going to happen. Right. The end of this season pissed me off. Just like, yeah, put her in the giant fucking sarcophagus, and we'll see her in eight months now. (laughs) See you next season. Yeah, like, well... The same sarcophagus we'll put next to Dick Clark's when they, when they resurrected him to do the New Year's for years after it end. I mean, that bothered me. I mean, that's the only thing about Electra that really that I found really annoying is because, like, I, like I said, like before, about people being in relationships that you know is just bad for them and they're just getting roped in. And she does it to Matt, but... And then there's one point where she's like, uh, this is not good for any of us. This is just a harmful relationship. And says, I got to leave. I'm going to France. I'm going to fight a ninja in a hangar. Don't mind me. So I, I really like that part of it. And I think the actress that, um, that played her did a wonderful job. And I mean, be- much better than Jennifer Garner. That just goes without saying. Oh, I mean. Um. Uh, Elodie Young, E L O D I E. Elodie, 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 Elodie. My my bad on my pronunciation there. I think she did a wonderful job, and I could see her being the temptress for Matt and falling in with that. And a really good scene is when we go to the flashback when we find out who is the person responsible for um, Matt's father being murdered, and that it's actually they broke into his house unbeknownst to Matt. Just thinking like, oh, this is Electra's house because she's well off. And they're smashing glasses, thinking, ah, we're having fun, stuff like that. Turn the corner. Oh, shit, she's tied up the owner. <laughs> and, like, you get to kill him now. And she turns into, like, as Kevin Smith said, as a throw killer. And then she gets off on that. And I'm like, oh, holy shit. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to and hit you. I'm not going to cross that line. That's what Matt does. And then... Electra's like, ah, fuck this. It slits his throat. You're like, oh! Oh. She does a lot of throat slitting. That and the one assassin that shows up at Matt's apartment, she cuts his throat. There was, yeah, and the, and the Punisher slit uh, the gang member's throat, in, or the leader's throat in prison. And then Stick beheads Nobu. <laughs> Hopefully he stays dead this time. Stay down, son. <laughs> um, so I don't 
I don't mind. Electra didn't bother me as much as she bothered you. But I understand your frustration where the payoff is yeah. yet to yet to come. And let, let's talk about the black sky, the hands, yeah. land. Basically, she goes. Um, she gets Matt to come with her on an adventure. They go. Uh, I'm going on an adventure. Was that the episode where um, they go looking for the people stuck in the 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 people that they've stolen? What happened to your wheelchair? Stolen. Because uh, episode three, I think, is actually when Frank's arrested and Electra pops up. There. So it's probably right. episode five is when they go looking for them. Yeah, episode, ep- four- episode five is the one where they break into um, the, the party. party. Okay. And the one after that is the one. Um, when they find the people. When they find the people. They're and being drained they, of blood. And they find uh, the what they think is the black sky which is it's sort of true it's sort of it is uh, it's it's a 40 story drop and the way the episode ends which i thought was really cool was they drop a flashlight they drop the flashlight into this giant pit and and the episode ends without hitting the bottom and the next episode starts with it going finally hit and like how far about 40 stories. Uh, I don't know how deep the island of Manhattan is. I don't know. Mm. I, I I am no... Uh, Keep in mind, 40 stories is only about 400 feet. 400 feet. Yeah. Eh, good point. So. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Moving on. Uh, and, with, and Stick has talked about that the black sky is his ultimate weapon, that this war that he's been being prepared both Electra and Matt for that the black sky is a, a doomsday weapon that will cannot be stopped. It turns out Electra is the black sky, the ultimate warrior and not the ultimate warrior. Like in WWE, <laughs> I, as a generality, I dislike when shows say, Oh, this thing, which has a name leading you to think it's an object. Right. Ends up being a person. Right. Like, I understand red herrings. Yes. But it really works best when this object ends up being another object yeah. that you didn't have. It shouldn't, you shouldn't like cross the streams <laughs> between object and person. People are allowed to be other people you thought they would be. Objects should be other objects you thought they would be. You should never crisscross. Yeah. Crisscross. <laughs> um, and then he's saying this is like a Black Sky with reference first season of a, like a little boy that was supposed to be the Black Sky and end up being killed at one point. What was there was they mentioned the Black Sky. Nobu Man mentioned the Black Sky, the Fisk last season apparently, oh. and. Hmm. And it was just like, all right, what? And then we're like, we don't know what the black sky is. We find out it's a person. But I love doing the investigation. Like Harold Saxon? Yes. <laughs> um, when they're investigating a train car, you think the black sky is in. Like, there's no shape. There's no nothing. And then they open it. It's just sand. And I'm like, what the hell's in there? And, okay. A little history. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles... Eastman Laird 
did it as a parody of Frank Miller's Daredevil. They even said how the Ninja Turtles were in a um, fishbowl that was dropped into the sewer. They've always said that Matt Murdock was the kid that was holding him. I mean, it was the chemicals that made him blind, the chemicals that turned them into the, super, the Ninja Turtles. Now, as a parody of the Hand, they have the Foot Clan. And so when the Hand was brought up during Netflix, I couldn't help but think of Ninja Turtles. And so their threat level kind of dropped, in my opinion. That's no... Nothing against the creators of The Hand, Frank Miller, and stuff like that, or especially the the interpreters here in this season. It's just being aware of certain pop culture. It just kind of lessened it for me. And the idea that Nobu, probably the greatest opponent, one of the greatest opponents that Daredevil has faced hand-to-hand, says, oh, the Black Sky is our ultimate weapon, and it's a person, and it's a person that probably he could kick the ass of. Yeah. Not taking anything away from Electra's fighting paralysis, but it's just like, I don't know. I thought it was going to be like a bomb or uh, detonate the reality bomb. Ah! Uh, <laughs> something like that c- catastrophe. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll take that as a MacGuffin to get the story moving. I just don't know how, unless they're going to make her immortal and that she cannot die. Kind of like how Nobu gets burned alive and then thrown off a building and he gets up and then he's finally fucking beheaded by sticks. Finally. If he gets back up again, I say we just, we throw his head into... No, you know what happens? He gets sent to uh, to DC and he's on the CW shows where nobody dies. I mean, what was Mal- What was the name of the device that Malcolm or the plan in the first season? Of oh, the uh, the earthquake machine. Yeah, the under- I, undertaking. The undertaking. Yes, like, that name. That like, name worked for that object, right? And it was like the undertaking, like. What's what's what? the undertaking? Yeah, the undertaking didn't end up being a person. It was an actual thing, and it worked. Yeah, he leveled he leveled half the city. He killed over five hundred people. We're gonna take over the glades. The glades were were destroyed because of the ultimate one that was set up. I understand they were like like they know they're gonna get a third season, so they're gonna hold off a little bit. And there is a lot in the season. There, it could be argued that it's a little convoluted, or there's too much plot points in there. Not as much as Batman v Superman, and I like that movie, but we'll, I'm getting to that with our friend Matt Bishop next week, so we stay tuned for that. What do you feel like how the hand is handled in the season? That was, that was, not, that was not intended. I did not mean that. Bullshit. <laughs> I, I said that like, oh, God, it's a pun right there. I, I, am, I am 100% Scott's honor. I did not mean that. I had to count my fingers and do Scott's honor right there. <laughs> I was a scout for a month. One, two, four. <laughs> Ten, nine, eleven, seventeen, four. Happy New Year. <laughs> Sorry, Dick Clark. You're rolling in your grave now. Go on. Your feelings on the hand. Um, I think you made a good point last week when we were talking about this. In the first season, we got to see the um the bad guys plot and plan. And we knew what they were thinking, and there was a face to the villain. This season, you had no idea what they were doing or what was going on with them. Mm-hmm. And it sort of just, like, disconnected you from them. Right. And it was... I don't want to say... Um, bad? No. But because... she's good. Yeah. Um... But in this case, you really couldn't connect with any of the villains, especially because in the first season, 
we only saw Nobu for maybe a brief one or two scenes. Yeah. And then the fight scene where he gets lit on fire. And then all of a sudden, surprise, he's back. And it's like, oh, well, how how would you do that? <laughs> Backtrack. Explain. There is no thing. There is no such thing as death, or something like something akin to that. That, that was the explanation. But is Razal Ghul not immortal? <laughs> or or We're just cheap politics? Cheap <laughs> Raz Al Ghul. <laughs> That pronunciation always hurt me. Sorry. I remember the first time watching it. I'm like, did he just say Raz Al Gore? <laughs> That's how Al Gore is going to break. Quick. Oh, off in the distance. I hear a whale crying. Rachel Cool is an eco terrorist to begin with. I wouldn't be surprised if Al Gore is part of the League of Assassins. Uh, I have to agree. We were saying, like, the pace of the first season was a lot better because it was cross-cutting between the villain's plans and how they were built up as characters as well as the main cast. Mm-hmm. And so it moved a lot quicker. Cross-cutting can really help speed up things. Look at, like, the end of most Christopher Nolan movies. There's usually three to five things being cross-cut at some time. Chemica, chemica, chemica. And it's, like, to the point that it could could fall apart. Um, this season they don't do that. We just stick with the main characters. We never see the villains really, like, uh, being diabolical and planning. And I kind of think it hurts the season. I'm not like, I know we're being rather negative here. We bring up a lot of things we don't like, but I do enjoy this season. I don't think I enjoy it as much as the first. It is really good. It starts out fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think it ends with a whimper, but there are things in the season that are just, things are a little more creaky compared to the first season. And I think that's what, what you think we're saying that not having the villains being more prominent throughout the season is a, a bit of a hindrance. Yeah. And, and there, but there are there are substitutes to the main villains. Right. But the character of Reyes, the district attorney uh, who's like out for her own agenda. Your feelings on her? I really wish they got again to more of this story in this season because it's pretty clear that there's some sort of government cover up involved with the Punisher. Yeah. And you kept waiting. Okay, they're finally gonna get it. They're finally gonna get it. And then. As soon as they bring it up, she gets murdered. And it's like, well, well, fuck us. I mean, not just murder. I mean, like, St. Valentine's Day massacre. That is, yeah. I mean, she is standing with her back to her window, which you know there's a highly trained assassin out there, <laughs> and you're at your office. Yeah, I, Even if you pack it up and they get your shit out of town. I just thought of... The Red Letter Media review for Attack the Clones. I was like, maybe you shouldn't have put her in a building that's entirely covered in glass windows. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I, I think that even the shades were drawn, stuff like that. So I don't know who the person who's taking fire know that she's really in there or not. Well, I assume they do. But, like, you feel like maybe not staying in front of an open window or maybe have people stationed looking out. So you say, hey... This guy's setting up assault rifles across the way. I think we should tell you to get down. <laughs> um, but much like the punishment that she truly believes what she's doing is for the right, it's for her own reasons. And she's totally part of this cover-up. When she, well, it's kind of a mess-up that, that it was a sting operation that went bad trying to find out who this blacksmith was between the undercover agent, the three gang members, the three gangs, I should say, 
Castle's family, and it was just a total clusterfuck of things that go wrong. It's like, I, I, for some reason, I thought of like, I don't know, like di- like Waco, Texas, with the FBI, like the Davidian uh, debacle. For some reason that came to mind, but I just imagine like Castle's family at a picnic, and three gangs show up, all with their flying their colors, like, huh? Maybe we should get out of this triangle of hate right now, and maybe uh, take. We don't have to see the carousel today. We can go tomorrow. Um, but I like the fact that she's very knowledgeable and she's very threatening. Yeah. But also, it gives an opportunity for Foggy to thread her back and show how strong she is. I, she made the other character strong and gave a good purpose of what they're doing. That's true. And I think that's why I really enjoyed her in this. I mean, it's. Just, I would love to see her come back and be another foil for them. But I mean, like, then again. I'm not going to lie. I got some satisfaction when she got blown away by the assassins. Yeah, yeah. Um, Going on with the other uh, villains, the Colonel, Colonel Ray Schoonover, S-C-H-O-O-N-O-V-R, who, uh, if you're uh, paying attention to any other comic book shows, he was another army person trying to stop Grodd in the first season of The Flash. Yeah, and... When I was watching, I couldn't remember if I remember him from The Flash or if he was the general in, uh, in Jessica Jones. Um, they do look very similar. Yes. And it's funny. He also played a military dude in Starship Troopers. I mean, he played a prison guard in Starship Redemption. He was fantastic in that. He's also Rex Ryan. Yes, he is. He is yes. also. <laughs> they do a Rex Ryan biopic. I want him to play him. <laughs> and to play he's, Rob Ryan. He's going to play Rob Ryan. <laughs> with the platinum hair. The mop hair that he's got. They just need to wait for for Foggy to get a, a couple of years older. And he probably could be uh, Rob Ryan. Oh, God. That would be hilarious. Your feelings on him. And like he, I know he's only in like three scenes. I, I, I wouldn't say he's so much of a villain. Um, An opportunist? Opportunist. Yeah. Because he does um, defend the Punisher in court, or at least you know, vouches for his character, right? And and then you end up finding out why. Yeah, and it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, that scene when they're talking about the story that happened over the Middle East, and that he, uh, that uh, they're they're trapped. There's no way to get to the uh, the LZ landing zone for those people. <laughs> like, you don't really know that terminology. I thought that was kind of commonplace now. Like, anyway. Yeah, if you're a jury, you might not know it. That's true. Um, and they're talking about, like, how Castle pretty much exterminated an entire... The enemy that was, that was between them and safety. And that... Was he cold-clocked the... Him, right? The, uh, the colonel... After, no, no, the colonel got into, he lost his arm. Yes. And he still saved him and stuff like that. And I think that's a great twist to that story. They're like, like, it's just a story. How can you substantiate it? And like. Because I was that idiot. Uh, officer. Officer that, 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 that gave him the order. And like, like, and then Reyes is like. Uh, uh, no, no more questions. And then sat down like, oh, really embarrassed. <laughs> then we find out he's the blacksmith and he's the one secretly responsible for Castle's family's death. Mm-hmm. And that he wants them to join, join me, join me, and we will rule the streets as Colonel and Soldier. 
<laughs> just trying to shoehorn more Star Wars stuff in here. Boo! Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting the red light. I should get off the stage now. Um, and I like the fact that, like, when the Punisher catches up with him, once he finds out who is what his real intentions are, and we bring him to this shed that's full of tools and stuff like that, like, oh my god, he's gonna skin him alive or eviscerate him. <laughs> and he's like, nope, pop, nope. shoots him in the head. Like, oh, okay. Do you think that was anticlimactic? Yeah. I think it was a nice twist of it because I'm like, because we got so much violence in this season. I think it's like, and he figured he would want to take his time with it, but it's just like, no, the pop kills him. Then over his secret passageway to his arsenal that he keeps in the back end. And I'm like, oh, 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 we know what he's going to use those for. <laughs> now, that pretty much takes up like, well, would you consider Stick not really a villain in this season? He's no, more... he's just a schemer. Yes. <laughs> schemer. You're a schemer. You had plans. plans. Your feelings on Stick in this season. Uh, I thought they did a much better job with his character this season than in season one, where we basically see him for an episode, learn about his backstory, and then he's... I think he ends up being... Doesn't they have to have a fight him in season one? Yeah, in his apartment. Yeah. Um, so there's... They get past that. I'm trying to remember. How does Stick come back into the fold this season? Saves him from being attacked by the hand. Oh, that's right. And I thought, like, yes. the episode when it opens up when they finally hear the... Oh, flashlight. that's right. That's the one where... The episode where they drop the thing down. Yeah. That's what happens afterwards. If they get stopped by the ninjas, that can stop their heartbeat. I thought that was a really cool moment where he's like, I don't hear anything. I thought that was just a, a Call of Duty thing that you could have to be, <laughs> that the UAV didn't pick you up. Yeah. And Stick shows up with uh, other members of of his, like, his gang. I forget they, it's the, it's like CH something, like the group that's ready to fight the black sky and they show up in a 40 like souped up 40s uh car i'm like i wonder which where they went because they're only in the most identifiable car in new york city matt black painted 40 souped up car racing down the streets of hell's kitchen i wonder where they went but i like the fact that he's blind he's using a crossbow to shoot the ninjas that are chasing after them and Scott Glenn has one of his best acting moments is when he's talking about the black sky and what the black sky has been and what it's going to do to the city. He gets to show his acting chops and he's not just being a stern mentor type. And then he's in the, he's involved with the most violent scene in this entire series is when he's being tortured and he gets the, Oh, the, the bamboo fingernails. Oh, 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 that hurt me. So much watching that. I do not know what, like, feeling even fingernails being pulled off. Just like, oh. And then going back to being, like, excessive violence in this season. I like, that's the prime example of how they push the envelope with this season. Um, and I love the moment when Electra's been attacked by the ninjas. And she's, she's poisoned by the, the tip of their blade and needs all these things to make everything. And the last thing is, like, hot tea. Like, what's the hot tea for? Takes it from Matt. Has a sip for himself. And you're like, I couldn't help but chuckle with that. Uh, 
and another favorite thing is like one of my two favorite fights of the season is not the stairway fight, the long take. It's the fight between Electra and Stick in the bookcases. Yeah. And it shows that Scott Glenn, even though he's in his mid-70s, is still in incredible shape. Um, do you think... Was he necessary for this sh- this season? Yeah, he's sort of... Um, Besides, like I say, what are you saying? The exposition. Yeah, exposition. He sort of gets the whole hand subplot going on by explaining to Electra and Matt what is going on. He hands it off to them. (laughs) 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 Oh, this is too easy. All right, I pick your promise. I'll never do it again. (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't handle this. <laughs> I should have brought the handle. Oh. Other than the exposition, do you think it was really necessary for the season? Um, I think so. Okay. Uh, he's the one common thing that um, Electra and Matt share. They he trained both of them. Right. Um, so it's, it was good to see him sort of like lead this war, if you want to call it. War of five people. Yeah, a war (laughs) of, you know, two guys, an old man who can still kick ass for some reason. And, you know, a thousand ninjas. Yes. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think like, like you're saying, like. Seeing him train Electra, I think yeah. those are his best moments. Besides, like the big speech, where I even love at the end when he like leaves Electra in the hands of the Nachios family, he's like study them, learn them, become one of them, and then just boy, fucking Irish goodbyes her hardcore <laughs> when they come and say hello to her, and that he she was his favorite student, and then Stick knows she's the Black Sky. Right? What do you think is kind of Pertinent to tell Matt that? Nah. No. Nah. Uh, I forgot. How does he know she's the black sky? What? How does he know she's the black sky? Because saw her in her yeah, that she could be a potential uh, ultimate warrior? See, reading the script? I think the, script. Uh, the script, script there. <laughs> the script there. Uh, you reading the script too? I don't know. Like, I'm glad. More Scott Glenn, I'm happy. I just feel like it was more justified and better. Yeah. But other dumps. Speaking of dumps of exposition, it's talk about, wasn't this the kingpin in prison? Do we have to talk like this? No, I'm going to stop because it's kind of... And while it's turning into my uh, Kelsey Grammer <laughs> from Fraser, for God's sakes, Matt, the daredevil's out there are loose. <laughs> God's sakes. God's sakes, Niles. The daredevil's here. Diane! <laughs> I did. I broke into my Kelsey Grammar impression while playing Call of Duty once with Dakota. For God's sake, Dakota, they're throwing grenades. Help us! <laughs> <laughs> oh, your feelings on Vincent D'Onofrio bag is Wilson Fisk. It was a welcome surprise because I didn't expect him to be in this series at no. all. So when the episode where the Punisher goes to jail ends with him saying, "I see you got my message." 
I was like, ah, uh, um, I had it spoiled for me. So that inadvertently, my friend thought I had spoilers. Spoilers. He, they thought he thought I was up to that point, like, like ah, like lifting weights and stuff like that. Like, oh, you saw you saw fist lifting weights, right? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, I'm like, thanks, guy. But I, Han Solo dies. <laughs> Power chains behind it all. <laughs> um. In the two seasons, the two episodes he's got, and like we see him bench press thing, and I'm like, those look like foam weights. I don't know if he can really bench that, but we'll go with that. Um, the scenes he has with John Bernthal as the Punisher, fantastic. Yes. And then when he has the face to face with Matt, not Daredevil, with Matt, and that how Matt threatens to never let Vanessa into this into the country again, and he just smashes his head against the table. I'm like, Joe. Never touch my Vanessa! Or whatever he says. And Matt's like, glasses messed up. Clocks the kingpin. You figure somebody just attacked you. Like, the security guards obviously paid off at that point. Dude just punched your boss. Didn't you think he would rush into the cell and maybe beat up the blind person? Uh, I mean, give a new meaning to the phrase, Hell in a cell! (laughs) That can't rain (laughs) spot. Oh, that was worse than any of the other hand puns I've done this entire episode, by the way. I mean, no, it wasn't. Uh, do you, um, what do you feel like the in-between story, the flashbacks we had with him getting equated to that, the prison in the first place? Unnecessary evil, because I don't think any of us would have just bought the fact that, oh, he was Wilson Fisk in prison, and we're not going to explain how that happened. Right. Plus, I mean, they did heavily hint to it with the, the crooked cop. Yeah. Um, what was it? Officer? I forget. The one who's, who brought Punisher yeah. to the, the stand during the case. Yes. And he's the one who bleeds him to Fisk when he gets to uh, Rikers. Yeah. Uh, I think they cut up. They cut to a close-up of him right before the Punisher went off on that thing. Yeah. Like, it might have been doing it. Yeah. And it, I was like, you're going to do something, aren't you? It's funny. During a commentary track, David Fincher says, Fincher, who directed like seven Fight Club, Social Network, close-up is a very powerful thing. Mm-hmm. You cut to too many close-ups and you kind of lessen the effect of it. And that's an instance where a close-up of that character is like, hmm, I wonder why they sh- why they showed that. Yeah. But going back to what you're saying, when Punisher takes a stand and he goes off in that speech, like, like I am fully aware of what I'm doing. I am not crazy. I do it again. <laughs> I'm just like, if I was one of the jury members, I'd be like, just get me the oh, hell out of here. God. He's going to kill us all. <laughs> and I think it's one of John Berthold's best acting right there. Um, it's nice to see William Forsythe, who plays the former head of the gangs in the prison and he gets manhandled by uh, the Punisher. <laughs> and I, I almost felt bad when like when Pun- when uh, Fisk was taking off his cufflinks. The cufflinks that his father had yes. and he had to give him a part of the like the uh, when you're turning into your personal belongings, I was like, ooh, ooh, that hurts. And then we see him slowly turn everything around while he's in prison and he starts depleting his funds that he his liquid funds 
that he's kept to the side that doesn't belong to Vanessa to buy himself protection, which the Kingpin would do. Um, do you think it was rather silly to double-cross the Punisher from Fisk's point of view? Um, or do you think he really thought he was going to die with his prisoners when they opened all the other gates? I, I mean, I'm pretty sure. I mean... How many, there had to have been like 15, 15 people yeah, against like one guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. But then again, you got to take into account this dude's murdered 36, 70 people. But he yeah, but not when he was in one prison cell and. No guns. Yeah. No guns. No guns. <laughs> no killing. It's funny, but like, <laughs> Castle wants to get out of the. Uh, the cell block, and he looks up, and Fisk is like on the upper level looking down, like, sorry! Mr. Castle, this this ends our relationship. And he runs away, and I'm like, she's like twirling a mustache right there, like a slightly whiplash moment right there. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> and then that's Headley, <laughs> Headley Lamar. And I think that scene, probably my favorite action scene in the entire series, is that mm. that hallway fight more than the long take that they did on the stairs, and the punch is covered in blood at the end. I mean, dude gets. Stabbed one of the guard, one of the um, prisoners gets stabbed like right in the elbow, and I'm like, oh, oh, what? No, how? And finally, when he's in his solitary confinement, and Fist comes over, and they have their come the blows. I was like, oh god, he's gonna crush him. He's just gonna smush him into pieces. <laughs> Do you think Fist will be out of prison by season three? Yes. Um. And the last we saw him was he was eating the steak of the other gang, the other uh, gang leader, as he's like slowly dying, being hooked up to a machine. Yeah. He's like, "I'm gonna be enjoying the steak now. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the show." Um, let's talk about like three characters. We'll talk to really quick, then we'll get into action and stuff like that. The three supporting cat, well, four supporting characters for the heroes. Let's start with Claire, Rosario Dawson. Your feelings on Claire in this season? Um, really, uh, a lot less of a role than she had in season one. Right. She's only in a handful of episodes, and they mostly are towards the end of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, pretty much the same character. Still uh, kind of has feelings for Matt, but also... Still is, you know, why the hell are you a crime fighter? Yeah. Um, but I like her storyline um, with the hospital. Yes. After they take the, um, I'm going to call them zombie patients. <laughs> yeah. Because they are half zombie, half patients. And has one of the scariest moments in the entire series. That was legit, probably the most, like, <gasps> moment. Well, and I remember... I was going to bed. I'm like, I'm going to go to bed after this episode. So I turn off the lights. I'm underneath my covers. And I'm the only light in my room is coming off my monitor. And then the hand is attacking the hospital. They cut the power. There's a strobe light alarm going off. Claire rounds the corner and sees the patient standing in a line, backlit by the strobe light. I'm like, oh, that is really freaky. And they murdered the father that, that of one of the patients. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Really, really freaky. And then, 
also that standoff between the two gang members who who are tied like early in the season when they're handcuffed to their own beds and they rip them apart to kill each other. Oh yes, and Foggy's the one who uh, tones down that situation. And Claire's like caught in the middle of that. Um, do you feel like you wanted more Claire in the season? Um, I don't think so. It didn't. I mean, early on in the season. She really didn't fit a purpose because mm-hmm. so much of the first half of the season was about the Frank Castle trial. Right. So her absence, I don't want to say I didn't realize it, but I i mean, it wouldn't have furthered the story if she were there. Right. I mean, I enjoy, like, as more Rosario Dawson, the better for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm always looking forward to when she's showing up in this or Jessica Jones. So... I wanted more of her, but I think you're right. It's almost like they used her like a spice. Yeah. But too much, and it would have been oversaturated, and it would, it would just dull the feeling. And so they just left enough, like, ah, oh, I wish she was doing more episodes now. And they even mentioned, they, she even, like, mentions the when she was taking care of Luke Cage at the end of uh, Jessica Jones, too. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Um and she gets fired. Does she? Does she get fired for talking? She about doesn't it? get fired. She just quits. Okay, because a fucking ninja killed a coworker. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, if a ninja showed up at my job, <laughs> my stomach <laughs> goes crazy. <laughs> if a ninja showed up at my job, killed one of my coworkers, I was like, all right. Nobody talk about the ninja that just killed one of us. <laughs> I'm like, yo, what the fuck? <laughs> now, I understand they were not officially admitted into the hospital. They were there being hidden there. Which means they're getting paid off by the hand. Yes. Um, but, like, how do you speak by the fuck? Oh, yeah, a mugger did that to you. So a mugger had, what, a cleaver? Is that what they use? Is, is that... Like, give me your money! And Here's a strange mugger. He had a katana. <laughs> like, a, a, a mugger with a katana that wanted her stethoscope. That's what she really wanted. It didn't get it, so he stabbed it right in the chest. <laughs> I hear my heartbeat, and I want to see if I can hear it still. <laughs> Puts on the stethoscope. Nope. 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 <laughs> Thanks. Here you go. <laughs> and like... And it was so nonchalant, that woman's death. Like, ah! It just falls. I mean, granted, I've never been stabbed with a katana, but it was just so, like... Want to try it? It's so passive. It's just like, ah! <laughs> like, ah, I've let down my keys. That's how, that's how, that's how they equated that pain. Oh, no. They're reading her. <laughs> they me. Reading me. Oh, oh, my God! God. <laughs> my diet soda! <laughs> Uh, so I think Claire was fantastic for this season. One, one more of her. Hope she's going to be in more of season uh, three. And then let's go to Melvin Potter, the one who's building all the equipment for Daredevil, especially with the suit, and then later the baton. Your feelings at his, not really development, but just like him popping up throughout the season. He's like Lucius Fox, except not Morgan Freeman. Yeah. So... <laughs> Thank you for that observation. Nothing gets past you. That's why I wear the glasses. I thought it's because you couldn't see. Oh. Stop giving away my secrets. Okay? Damn it. Just like the secret of the mugger with the katana. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, he's, he only 
he shows up three episodes, I think. Yeah. The- Early in like the first or second episode, once with Electra, and then once again towards the end. Yeah. Um, I think Electra is there for the end. Yeah. I think it's like when he shows up for when that Daredevil's taking a shot to the head. Oh, that's right. He gets shot in the head the first episode. Do you think going back to do you think Daredevil? Do you think Frank meant to kill him? I think so. Yeah. You, you don't think he could have, like. As precise as he is, do you think he meant to... I highly doubt that... He would have left a loose end like that. He would have, um, you know... I don't think he can tell the weak spot of a helmet no. off the top of his head. Admits a fist fight on a dark, a dark yeah. rooftop. He's probably just like, headshot, he's probably dead. Yeah. Which I always found that kind of funny, like when Foggy finds him in the daytime, like kind of like half collapse on the roof, I lean over to Vicky and I'm like, when cosplaying goes too far. <laughs> I'm like, and how the hell did he get him across town and nobody noticed, like, hey, you're dressed like the Daredevil in broad hey, daylight. You are the Daredevil. No, I'm not. No, not. No, I know you. You're the Daredevil. No, I'm going to put on these glasses. You see, if I put on these glasses, you won't be able to recognize me. I don't know who you are. You're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> No. No, I'm Roger. Roger. Roger, Roger. Huh? <laughs> What's your vector, Victor? What? <laughs> Plane. Drink. Oh, God. Oh, that's a story for another day. <laughs> How'd you get this lightsaber? That's a question for another day. See, that didn't even bother me as much as a 40-foot hole in the middle of Manhattan. I'm sorry to keep harping on that. That really was the worst red herring ever. Yes. Other than the black sky itself. Well, no, that that was the the black sky. Yeah, but like, like I, if that had been the black sky, yeah, it would have been cool. Yeah, yeah Gorgira comes out of it. That, that that's their big weapon, Godzilla. God, oh, Godzilla, Godzilla. Um, so Evan Potter is like, yeah, he's building all the equipment like for Matt, like especially with the Daredevil suit, and then eventually he gives him the baton that has the grappling hook and everything like that. I was so happy that showed up. Because we've seen him use the other, just the regular baton throughout the first, second season. And he's, just, he's bouncing off walls and he's knocking things out of people's hands. I thought that was awesome. Just as happy as I was when, the end of the first season, when he got the official Daredevil suit. So I'm just like, alright, now it's getting, the end of the third season, I bet he gets the suit with the DD on there so we know it's Daredevil. So, the brand himself. Marketing. And, um, like, we still haven't met, was it Betsy? Or the woman like the, that Matt says he's going to protect for Melvin. Oh, no, I don't think we've met her. <laughs> Still, don't know who she is. She could have turned out to be the Black Sky. <laughs> that would have made a better Plot choice. twist. <laughs> She's the Black Sky. Um, glad to have him back. Can't wait to see what he does next season. Last like last two supporting characters, Ellison, who works at the, the Bulletin, who was... Um, Trying to sleep with Karen the entire season. Yes. And he was uh, Yurik's best friend. He was Yurik's boss. And Yurik calls him out for being corrupt at the end of the first season. I like the fact that he kind of, like Foggy and uh, Matt, he grounds Karen, who's ready to be headstrong, go into dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. And what do you think of him throughout this, this season? I liked his character a lot. Um I thought it was interesting how 
they bring up the fact that he feels guilty about Uruk's death. Yeah. Um, because uh, if you recall back to season one, he was the one who told Uruk, you know, don't go. Yeah. Looking into Kingpin, and right. then Kingpin obviously ends up killing him. I, 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 he certainly feels at fault for that death. Yeah. Um, I thought one of the the coolest scenes in the season is when he brings Karen into his old office. Right. It says, this is your place now. Yeah. And especially when they're going through, uh, earlier when they're going through all the hard copy records that haven't been damaged from the incident, a.k.a. the alien invasion from the first Avengers. <laughs> we're not going to acknowledge there were aliens in this city in the show that has ninjas and stuff like that. But maybe the ninjas are the aliens. aliens. Moving on. <laughs> um, there's one really funny moment when they're going through. Uh, oh, when they go to talk to the uh, coroner that lied about his um, his records about Frank Castle's uh, family being murdered, and they go to talk to him, and he's living in this shitty apartment because he's afraid because Electra has kind of turned the screws on him to tell the truth. But eventually the hand gets to him, one of the blacksmith gets to him and kills him. He walks into the the hotel room when this crime scene units are like taking pictures and stuff like that. He just walks right in. I'm like, shouldn't the police tape be up? <laughs> He's a member of the press. You don't bring him into a, a crime scene like that. <clears throat> just thought that was really interesting. And the joke we made before, like, two months because the season starts out like it's a heat wave. During the summer, and ends on Christmas. Yeah. So months have gone by that she's had this job. I hope she's written other articles for the bulletin in between. But nope. Has, nope. <laughs> I'm like, he's really desperate that he's willing to, like, how do you think Karen feels like at the water cooler every day? So, Karen, what have you been doing? I've been, um, uh... uh Slinky! Like, uh, thing. Uh, working on a thing. Allison's thing? What? What? No. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I hope to see more of him. Hopefully, he doesn't become too much of an annoyance. Um, so, hopefully, oh, maybe there'll be a love triangle between Karen and Elsa. We don't need another love triangle. We got enough with uh, with Matt and Karen and Electra. Electra and Foggy and Matt and Karen and, <laughs> and, and, and Felicity and Ollie and, uh, and don't Ray. Get, don't get me started on that show. <laughs> I saw Chris's tweets about. Arrow this week, and he's he's like, I can't wait to spit fire about the show when the season's over. And I'm like, oh, I cannot wait until we do the podcast review of that. I can't wait to do that. Um, so let's talk about the action in season two versus the action in season one. I got a feeling there was more action this season than the first season. Do you yes. agree? Yeah, in the first season, it, it sort of just felt like everything, uh, each episode led up to a boss fight. Yeah. Yeah. And this season, the action is much more spread out, and there's also a lot more of it. Right. Um, definitely seemed like they had a lot, like, how many fights ended? Like, it was like three fights in a row ended with Matt doing a flip land kick on somebody. Yeah. And, like, definitely used a little more wire work this season as compared to the first one. Um, as we mentioned before, they do another long take fight scene through a stairway as uh, a beaten-up uh, Matt Murdock with a chain wrapped around his one hand fights the dogs of hell as he's going down these flight of stairs. 
it's meant to look like it's all done in one shot and following him from the back. Do you think this is the, as good or better than the first one? Um, no, maybe because we've seen it before. Right. So it's not as fresh. Yeah. Um, when they did it in season one, we were like, that's, that's incredible editing and, uh, it looked completely different than anything we've seen before. Now that we have seen it, it's just like, okay, let's see what you did there again. Right. Uh, which, I mean, it's not a bad thing. Um, it's cool the first time you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's impressive. Yeah. It's, I just don't think everyone's going, oh my God, like they were in the first season, which again, isn't a bad thing. It's, it's still a cool shot, mm-hmm. but I mean, you know, it's yeah, just okay. I mean, as well as the first season, he had a goal. He had to save the little kid that was trapped in the hallway, right. the other, trapped in a room at the other end. This was, I'm going to die if I don't stop these dudes. And there are moments where it's coming from behind. There's a problem with long takes. There's a, I like montage. I like like things being built up with through cutting. Long takes are good. If you want to do a scene in a whole one shot, that's that's fine. Doing an action scene, sometimes it's kind of hard to pull that off and it being impressive. Um, especially when they're coming down the stairways where it's such so narrow, we're pretty much seeing from Matt from behind, and we're pretty much cutting off him at the shoulders at that point. That's where the frame cuts him off. So we're like, oh, this is just a stuntman doing this. We're not really seeing Matt doing that. Granted, you don't really see his face regardless due to the mask, but there's something lost there. Also, I made a joke about, all right, so you're those three dudes at the bottom of the stairs <laughs> who just, the devils of hell, the devil of hell's kitchen just comes down the stairs, smashing lights, chain wrapped around his wrist, and all of your other guys are incapacitated at that point. I've been like, I'm going to drop my colors. I'm going to leave. Bye. This, this gang's not worth it. <laughs> and I thought the Punisher was going to save him at that point, but obviously they say that for later on in the season. Um, like one of the best scenes I enjoyed is when Matt is trying to find Stick in the sewer, doing the subway tunnels, and Stick knows he can hear him, and he says, listen to their breath. Because the, the hand realizes, oh, this guy can only hear us. So they drop their weapons because that's the only way that he's being able to fight them beforehand. Mm-hmm. He gets his ass kicked for a while. What do you think of the, how that twist is and how the hand was smart and got used to his techniques? I liked it a lot. Uh, it was really interesting with how they dealt with Daredevil's powers this season right. compared to last season. Mm-hmm. Last season, it was more... The visualization, how he sees the world just like everything on fire. Mm-hmm. This year, you sort of, uh, I would, uh, if realistic is the word to use, a more realistic um, way of how a deaf person, or sorry, a blind person <laughs> interacts with the world, just using hearing. Um, I think they mentioned something being written in Braille at one point. Yeah. I think it might have been uh, the meeting with Fisk. Mm-hmm. Um, I had something written I had it in Braille for you, Mr. Murdoch. <laughs> Sorry. Love Vincent D'Onofrio and Wilson Fisk, but I will, I will continuously make fun of him for that voice until I meet him in real life and I'll be terrified of doing that in front of him. 
Just don't bring up Vanessa. I don't need you, sir. <laughs> I'll just bring up your weird... It's things that you did in criminal intent to get a confession out of everybody. Um, like I said before, my favorite fight scene is probably Castle versus the Cell Block. Another one is Matt learning to how to take on the hand. Mm. The uh, I thought the final fight on the rooftop with the army of ninjas was kind of exhaustive. Yeah. I was like... It's like... You two people against my army. Yeah, I'm just like, all right. All right, here we go. <laughs> Number one, everything. <laughs> uh, Especially since the build-up to that fight was like, all right, we're probably going to die here. It's like, oh, you're always still not going to die. you got to renew for another season. So, so we know you're not going to die. I Like, Electra's probably going to die, right, but you're yeah. not going to. Um, it was interesting seeing Electra fight that other assassin, Hanger, and using the plane as a weapon against him. That much. was a cool fight. I did like that. And that she, she does get her ass handed to her a little bit. And I'm like, ooh. Like, maybe maybe she really does need Matt there at times. But um, I'm going to say, I enjoyed the action. I don't think it was as executed as well as the first season. It's... I know we're being very negative, but it seems like we're being negative. It's because the bar is set so high with the first season. Right. It's kind of hard to top that. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not the level of Dark Knight Rises trying to come after Dark Knight, but it's close in relative terms. That's, that's what we bring up that question. Um, how is this compared to the first season, Daredevil and Jessica Jones now? Uh, I think in terms of just the story mm-hmm. it's very um captivating because okay. I, I i was more captivated by this season than i was in the first season i think part of that was because we already knew daredevil mm-hmm. part of it was the mystery they built up with the black sky wanted me to keep watching it to find out all right what is this because they built it up really well, and if they hadn't screwed the pooch with it, I would have been like, okay, okay, wow, wow really well done. Um, I think the worst or the the weakest part of this season is its final acts. Right. Um, there's a couple of things wrong with it. Well, obviously, the Black Sky being Electra. Mm-hmm. Um, Which hasn't been paid off yet. Who knows what right. she'll be when we, we see her again. Um, secondly, how did the Punisher know where all hell was breaking loose? How did he know to be on that roof, rooftop? Followed Karen? No, because she was kidnapped at that point. Yeah. That's convenient. You can't I, say this, the police radio. I just remember watching. And it, no, because they never found his hideout. He probably still had the police radio. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, because they only, they, they arrested him in the graveyard. So, when, and at the end of season three, when they find him outside the Irishman's, uh, the Irish gang's uh, like hideout. Mm-hmm. Um, also, so glad they didn't kill that dog. 
That would have been like they've yeah, gone. Yeah, that would have been Vincent Van Gogh <laughs> killing a dog. He, he uh, and the joke I sent to you when no. the same actor who played Vincent Van Gogh on Doctor Who is playing the Irish uh, the guy like comes back from Ireland come to avenge his son's death. Stabs that guy in the eye. He didn't see that one coming, that's for sure. (laughs) There's an eye-opening experience for everybody in that scene. (laughs) I can't wait till I have Dan... You have Dan Eye on your show. Oh, it's gonna be... It's gonna be... Wait for it. Legend. Derry. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry for that anticlimax. Not as bad as the black sky, though. Nothing is as bad as (laughs) the black sky. Oh... I don't know. I'm trying to think of other, like, terrible, um, you know, things, terrible letdowns. Especially in, like, comic book. dimension is love? In comic book movies or shows. Uh, oh, okay. Um, that is a big letdown. I was going to say the Felicity and Ray and uh, Oliver and Love Triangle, but that's not a big reveal. You know, uh, the fact that Oliver was, like, brought back to life by magic and not... Oh, yeah. That was like... (laughs) Fill up a mountain. You have your one card to play and you choose not to play it there. After a fantastic fight scene between him and Raish. Ugh. Anyway. Um, How do you think this compares to Jessica Jones? I know it's very different in tone. Very different. Very different in tone. Very different. You see, I feel like Jessica Jones was so strongly driven by uh, David Tennant's character. Kilgrave. Kilgrave. Um, That, and there were a lot of other positives about that too, but the standout from that was... Kilgrave, mm-hmm. and this is just more of a uh, collaborative effort from the entire cast. Um, and it's difficult to compare, and also very different in tone. A lot more fighting. Uh, Jessica Jones was more of uh, a psychological thriller, right? Um, so maybe it's a little bit unfair to compare it. That's 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 fair. Um, but I, I'd say, generally, if I had to rank them, I'd say they're about equal. Do you think the quality from Daredevil season one and Jessica Jones made our expectations even higher? For yes. Season? Do you think it equates for why we're being so critical of the season? I think so. I mean, like you said, s- season one was so good, and it, it just blew everyone away. Because with nobody what expected it. it. Yeah. No, I mean, everyone said, oh, Netflix is making a Daredevil series. Uh, And really, the only um, experience most people had with Daredevil was the Ben Affleck film. And I know you've watched the director's cut. Mm -hmm. You said it's a lot better than the theatrical cut. Most people probably haven't seen the the director's cut because the theatrical one was so bad. Yeah, and it probably hurt people off from even trying to look. Like, why would they go out of their way right. to look? Um, so, yeah, I think, like, um, it's definitely... Of the three seasons, Daredevil season one and two, 
and Jessica Jones take into account. It is maybe the weakest one in my eyes. Mm. I mean, because I think David Tennant as Kilgrave. Yeah. Just, I think that's what, and, um, as Jessica Jones herself, like it was just, it just pushed that just a little bit more. I mean, it's great to see these characters back again. I'm just curious what kind of expectation we're going to have now for Luke Cage, Iron Fist, and Jessica Jones season two, and now the third season of Daredevil. I wonder because they've been they've been batting a thousand for the past two seasons, and like did okay with this. Do you think our expectations will be too high? Um, I think this one brought up our expectations back just a little bit. Still a very good show. Yes. Uh, I would recommend it. We're not, yeah. Uh, better than 95% of the shows you can find on TV. Yes. I, I would say. Um, but, I don't know. There wasn't, there wasn't that one thing that really stood out this season. Uh, other than maybe John Bernthal as the Punisher. Yeah. And. But even that, it, when I compare John Bernthal. Bernthal is the punisher to David Tennant's character in Jessica Jones. It's like David Tennant just completely took it over to a next level. Right. One that one person completely dominated uh, a a TV series, and there are very few TV shows or movies out there where that happens. I think one of the only other. Uh, times I can remember that happening is, is Heath Ledger with The Dark Knight, where you're just like, every second where this character is on screen, you're like, oh my goodness. I, I could argue for the fact that you could, could say that for The Punisher, I mean, like one point when he's in the hospital and Karen's alone with him, and he gets closer and closer to her his bed, and I'm like, yeah. no, do not go closer to him. Even if he's being nice right now, you do not know what he's going to do. Like, every for every frame that he's on screen, I found him to be fascinating. However... If you clock the time how much screen time he's got there versus Kilgrave and Jessica Jones, you can definitely tell David Zen had a lot more scenes. Mm-hmm. So I think I can understand where you're coming from there. If Punisher was in more of it, maybe the season would be higher regard in our in our eyes. I think also too when we see the a lot of what we see from the Punisher the first half of the season is when he's in custody. Yeah. So he's. I don't want to say he's a, he's not a threat. He's diminished. But it's a diminished threat. It's just like waiting for the pot to boil. Yeah. Then finally, once he goes over the edge, uh, more than more than halfway through the season, you start to realize, oh, okay, this is the Punisher. Yeah. And then he fully accepts the identity, and he spray paints the bulletproof vest and gives it the skull. I'm like, ah, there we go. Yeah. Um. So I say, still recommend, highly recommend the show. Now, what are your expectations for the future? Hmm. It's going to be interesting where they take it because they are leaving the door open for Nelson and Murdoch to still be a thing. Yeah. Because they don't actually show us Foggy taking the job. The job. And, um,. Obviously, Karen still wants Nelson and Murdoch to be a thing, uh, no matter how many nonsense papers she writes, or articles she writes for the paper. Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof, (laughs) or doesn't write. 
Um, obviously, we're going to get more from Electra. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. Will it be in season three or do they push it off? Push it off and see. I, you could probably get at least two more seasons yeah. out of the show, at least. Now, my expectations of the future is like one of the biggest characters in Daredevil is a character named Bullseye, assassin that we does not miss, that in the comics is both murdered Electra during the Frank Miller run, that's why, and then she's brought back eventually. And then when Kevin Smith was writing the character, he kills Karen with um, Daredevil's baton. And I'm like, that's how you do Bullseye in the next season. I think that's what they're going to do because I think that's the only person Fisk is going to get out of prison mm-hmm. when he realizes when he got clocked by Murdoch and when he felt it, he's like, hmm, I've been hit like this before. <laughs> he probably put two and two together. He's like, and he's. I feel like the only person who has to put two and two together is, is Karen. Karen. <laughs> I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh. So I hope to see Bullseye in the next season. I hope we. we Fisk comes back in a big bad way, and we see what he's going to do. And as I say, make it just a little tiny bit tighter storytelling wise. Yeah, and then I'll be happy. Regardless, I was happy with this season. I, as was I. Other than the Black Sky payoff, what was probably your worst part of the series, and then what was your best part of the series? Um, worst part of the series. Um. Hmm. The more I think about it, the more I just have no idea why the Punisher was there at the, the final fight scene. Right. It's like, one, why are you, why do you, why do you care about Daredevil? Because I think he did a good thing for him and he probably realizes it's Matt. So, maybe he owes him. He's an honor. <laughs> and Brutus is an honorable man and Daredevil is an honorable man. Yes. <laughs> Um, I don't know. The, it just seems like... It's fan service. I want to say fan service. It's just... Um, just thrown in there because mm. they can. Yeah. It, uh, de- deus ex machina. Yeah. It's like, we need someone to save the day. <gasps> Let's have the Punisher save the day. Um, and other than that... Favorite favorite moment, um, the conversation Karen has with the Punisher in the hospital room. Ooh, why why that scene specifically? Because you finally you find out what happened to um, his family. Mm-hmm. You 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 see the Punisher as a human being, right? And Almost as a tragic figure. Right. Well, definitely as a tragic figure. Um, and they did such a good job of characterizing him as, you know, a really good dad, mm-hmm. um, good husband. Right. And he just really felt uh, empathy for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, my worst, other than the black sky, I thought was the worst part of that, of this season other than we don't see really get to see what the villain's plan is. Yeah. Like, knowing what Fisk wanted was probably the best part about the first season, is seeing where he comes from, what his motivations are. Um, as well as, like, good stories have, like, an A and B storyline. 
and best stories have those two storylines correlate at the end or they come together. And it does with the Punisher saving him against the hand at the end, but it, it's so yeah. hand-fisted. It's like, it's like two parallel, two parallel lines, lines and then all of a sudden 90-degree angle right into the and other. It is so out of nowhere. It's like, it's, uh, it feels a little off with that. Um, my favorite part of it is probably it's the third episode that that those conversation between <laughs> Punisher and Daredevil on the, the rooftop. There's loved every moment of it, and um, yeah. All right, final thoughts on Daredevil season two. Very good. Very good. I know it sounds we I thought we sound incredibly negative, but we actually really enjoyed this. Yeah, it, it was great to watch. I just wish the ending had... More of a punch? Yes. Not... Kapow! I set myself up for that one. Um, Hey, what what body part do you use to punch things with? Your hand! The hand! Fucking assholes. Um, (laughs) Anything else? (laughs) No. Thanks for the handoff, by the way. Um... (laughs) Um. Yeah, like I enjoyed it. We're being we're being critical. We're not criticizing. Yes. So I think we're allowed to be critical of it because we're fans and we get, we dedicate time and money to paying for the Netflix subscription. We have the right to criticize. I mean, to be critical of, not to criticize. This is America, after all. Yes. I mean, if a businessman can run for president and he's gotten this far, I mean, a racist businessman who hates everyone. Outright bigot. <laughs> yeah, we lost all listeners, but it's at the very end. Hopefully, nobody cares at that point. <laughs> all right. Now, if you want people, Tones cares. He doesn't look like news. <laughs> him his Lego hair. He actually cut his Lego hair. He doesn't look like a Lego head Thank anymore. God. I haven't seen him, so I wouldn't know. Oh, sorry, you didn't. You... What were you doing on St. Patty's Day? Did you have work the next day? No. Wait. St. Patty's Day? It was a Thursday. I think I worked in the morning. But, like, not until 9. I don't know why you didn't show up. Because Jackson came down uh, from Albany. I know he came down. I saw the Snapchat. Sorry, I was like, gee, guys, thanks for the invite. I'm sorry. I thought you you were invited. (laughs) No, I didn't hear about it. I apologize. Boo! Boo! (laughs) Apologize for that. Um, If you want people to follow you on social media, where can they find you? Uh, Twitter, mostly. Um, I usually go into sports rants, and baseball season just started, so... Get ready for that. Yeah. Uh, Occasionally, while I'm watching The Flash, or Arrow, or Legends of Tomorrow, talk about a show of problems. That that, that show's got a lot. I I haven't watched past the the, uh, two opening episodes. I gotta catch up on it. uh, Take your time. Really? (laughs) I mean... Aside from not having a main character or likable characters, it's a good show. <laughs> ask ask Chris what he thinks about Legends of Tomorrow. I assume he doesn't like it either. <laughs> um, pretty much the same complaints I have. <laughs> You're instilling me with a lot of confidence, Doc. Don't worry about the lighting. I'll just take care of your father. I mean, at least, I mean, to be honest, if Arthur Darvill weren't in it, I probably would have stopped watching it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, but no. I'll give it a season. Yeah. See what happens. All right. And so... So, yeah. At Justin Cirillo. C-I-R-I-L-L-O. Okay. If you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2 My Instagram at TRooney1012. 
my YouTube page, Facebook page, and now website, Through the Lens Productions, where my latest short film, Halloween Reborn, is up, as well as next short film, uh, A Cowardly Lot on Its Way. Hopefully everybody likes that. It's going to be a comedy <laughs> with uh, Larry Bergen, who's been on the show. He's a cast member in it. <laughs> well, there's the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> we make him, we have, we gotta get, make him the idiot of the group. Tell me it's all just like eyesight jokes. No, 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 no. <laughs> but like there, there's a funny joke. I'll, I'll show you some clips of it when we're done. Yes. Hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast of Anything Goes on SoundCloud.com. And join us next time when we're going to be talking about Batman v Superman with my friend Matt Bishop of SUNY Oswego, now living in Albany, being a director. Hope everybody enjoyed the show, and we'll talk to you soon. Good night, Justin.